0: Uh, this morning, our sermon text uh, comes from Romans chapter 6. We'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 14. Uh, keep your finger there. Uh, if you're following in the, in the church Bible, that's on page 942. But keep your finger there. Um, our Old Testament reading comes from Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. That's on page 3 in the church Bible. Uh, Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word. Uh, Give your full attention to it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now to Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to start with a few remarks about Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, You know, you're Reformed and Protestant, you're probably super familiar with the letter, Uh, but I think it's worth rehearsing a few things for the sake of context, uh, since our sermon comes from the middle of the book. Uh, You see, for Paul, there's a fundamental problem with human beings, and it's this. Uh, We are all under the lordship of sin. Sin exercises dominion in our mortal bodies. Uh, That's why humans are corrupt, deceitful, and violent. We are prone to commit injustice against one another. And whenever, wherever, sin rules, death is always around the corner. Uh, So, for sure, what God told Adam and Eve is now a dark reality for us. You remember what he said, so Adam and Eve, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so what's Paul's answer to the lordship of sin? Uh, was the gospel of the Lord, the good news of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a new Lord in town, as it were. And His grace is more powerful than sin. He has the power to save sinners, those who receive Him with a loyal, persevering belief, what Paul calls the obedience of faith. It's a message that reconciles people to God, uh, because it disarms hostility and, and the enmity between the two. God and Christ came on a rescue mission for us, and in Him we now have peace with God. Uh, That's the vertical dimension. Uh, But what's often forgotten is the horizontal dimension of the gospel. Because Jesus not only reconciles us to God, He also reconciles us to each other. Uh, Throughout uh, the book of Romans, you'll see Paul making a big deal about Jews and Gentiles. Uh, His point is that in the gospel, Jews and Gentiles are united You know, white and black and brown, rich, middle class and poor, they're all united in the gospel. Because Jesus brings a kind of grace that the world knows nothing about. It's strange and it's scandalous. And so by the time we get to chapter 6, one thing is clear. There are two lords uh, caught in a cosmic battle. The Lord of sin, which leads to death. And the Lord Jesus, who is life, who gives us life. Uh, And so it's a tale of two lords. uh, And we will be ruled by one and despise the other. But both are on a mission for our hearts. Paul's point in our passage is that in baptism, we are identified with King Jesus. He is our Lord, not sin and death any longer. And so here, here's kind of the big idea for us this morning. Uh, baptism is a constant reminder that we must put sin to death on the cross that we might live in the power of the resurrection of God. Baptism is a constant reminder that we must put sin to death on the cross that we might live in the power of the resurrection of God. Uh, Paul opens with this He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, the obvious answer is no, right? But, but but Paul is making a point. What is that point? Well, Paul knows that the gospel he's been talking about is super abundant in grace and overwhelmingly merciful. It seems too good to be true. You can hear somebody saying, uh, You mean the more I sin, the more God's grace covers me? That sounds good to me, right? Sounds good to me. Let's keep going with that. Uh, Listen, if the gospel is that good, people might think they don't need to change. That they can just continue in their sin. But let me ask... What kinds of people would seriously ask this question anyway? Who would really ask if they can keep on sinning? It's not those who truly embrace the gospel, those who are truly committed to King Jesus. No, it's only people who are trying to skirt around the gospel. Because why would anyone ask that question? if they weren't trying to get away with their sin, if they weren't trying to continue in the way they once lived. They want their cake and eat it too. But what does Paul say? He says, there's no way you can continue to live in your sin, not after you have been baptized. Because baptism tells us that we've died with Jesus. When He died on that cross, we died with Him. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with Him. Verse 6, co-crucifixion. Our former, former selves were violently nailed on that tree. They're dead. They're lifeless. And not only did we die with Him, we were buried with Him. God has entombed us in water. The person we used to be, the person who submitted to sin time and time again, is buried in the tomb. So if you've received the symbol of baptism, then you can't go back to your former way of life. Because what are you saying if you do? You're saying that you don't belong to God's kingdom. That Jesus is not your Lord. Sin is. So it is utter treason to go back. Uh, in, In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul notes that Israel was baptized when they passed through the Red Sea, or the sea, right? For him, baptism corresponds to Israel's exodus from Egypt. So baptism then is our exodus, as it were. We're like Israel who have been delivered from the tyranny of the greater Egypt. Sin. Our former slavery is done away with. We've been delivered. We can't go back. But what's our impulse? What's our impulse as believers? As much as we want to say that we don't want to go back, we're always tempted to go back. Especially when God takes us in hard places, right? Like Israel in the wilderness. Because that's where our life experiences feel like death. When it feels too hard to keep going. Egypt whispers in our ears to come back. And is at those moments, sin sounds enticing. I mean, think about what Israel kept doing in the wilderness. They kept whining and grumbling against Moses and God. You know, take us back to Egypt. There's no water and food here. They said in Numbers 11, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Man, how quick have they forgotten? How can they forget so quickly how domineering Egypt was? How can they forget how cruel Pharaoh was? And so, what tempts you to go back? It's probably not the leeks and the onions, (laughs) but it's probably something. What are they for you? Is it status and power? Is it the promise of money and wealth? Is it pleasure and entertainment? What makes you want to come back to sin? And so Paul says, we have died with Jesus in our baptism. But the irony is, dying with Jesus is the only way we will truly live. Because notice Paul's movement from death to life here. If we're united to Jesus in His death, we will also be united to Him in His resurrection. Paul describes it as walking or living in newness of life. I mean, that's the gospel, isn't it? Where there was death, now there's life. Where there was slavery to sin, now there's freedom in Christ. Baptism has transferred us from one Lord to another. Uh, because Jesus rose from the grave like a thorn bush, He will one day rise we will one day rise to resurrected life with Him. Uh, Paul puts it this way Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. No, but even more, now we are free to live in anticipation of that day. Now we're free to live to God as new creatures in this world. Uh, But notice there's a condition, right? We will also live with Him provided that we believe, that we exercise and live by faith, that we live in loyalty to King Jesus in the here and now. Because we cannot live a new life apart from believing. Uh, I mean, I'll say more about this new life that Paul is talking about. uh, But for now, I'll just say that the resurrected life is a cruciform life. It's cross-shaped. In other words, new life in Christ is no different than dying with Him. The resurrected life is when our life matches the shape of the cross, when it looks like self-giving and self-sacrifice, when it looks like picking up our cross for other people. That's what the resurrected life looks like. And we have to remember that this new life is a gift. It's something we should never take for granted. Because it was a costly gift. It cost King Jesus his very life. In order to conquer sin for you, he had to bow to death itself. Uh, But in doing so, death in turn bowed to him. Paul says, death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus rendered death powerless by submitting to it. He disarmed it of its rule. And that's why Jesus will never die again. In fact, Jesus says in Revelation, I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So here's King Jesus. He stands between us and the door of death. And He has the keys. But what does it mean when you have the key to the house? Right? Well, you have access, you probably own the place, and you're probably Lord over the place. Right? Jesus has freed us from the lordship of death by lording over it. Jesus' victorious death is what baptism reminds us of. And it should change the way we think about ourselves every day. No longer is sin and death Lord over us because Jesus has overcome. He's the conquering Lord. I think we've got to get this into our bones, deep into our hearts, and tell ourselves over and over again what Paul says in verse 11. Look at it. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is the reality of our baptism. And when we live in that reality, we begin to embody Jesus' victory over death. We begin to dethrone it by God's grace, we begin to undo sin's lordship in our lives. We can begin to overcome sin in the here and now. Now, don't, don't mishear me. Uh, I'm not saying we completely eradicate sin, because only Jesus can do that, and He will do it when He comes back. But we can, according to Paul, make some progress. Not because we're good or great enough, but because death no longer rules over Jesus. And so if we're in Him, death no longer rules over us. Uh, You know, the Bible tells us that death once ruled over all of us like a king. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews says, through fear of death, we were subject to a lifelong slavery. Uh, but, But why is death so powerful? Well, it's because of sin. Uh, Paul says, the sting of death is sin. So without sin, death is nothing to us. It has no power to enslave us. Uh, how many of y'all are, are scared of bees, right? Especially if you're allergic, I would imagine you would be scared. But why are, are people scared of bees? Well, it's because they have, they have stingers, Right? Uh, but, but imagine bees with no stingers. What would happen? I'd imagine they'd be very annoying still. But without stingers, we won't be scared of them. Uh, you know, there's a reason we fear bees but not flies. Be- because what can flies do? Nothing. So what can bees do without stingers? Nothing. What can death do without sin? Nothing. Nothing. You see, in Jesus' death, the sting of death, sin is taken away. But that doesn't mean that sin has given up. It still wants to rule over us. So Paul tells us in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That word obey is a really, interest, is a really interesting word here. Uh, The picture is someone responding to a knock at the door. Uh, This is what it looks like for Paul to let sin rule in our mortal bodies. Uh, Because imagine, he he wants you to imagine sin at your front door. It's knocking and knocking and you look out the window. And you know who it is and yet you still open the door. You welcome it in and you have dinner with it and you give it your house keys. You let it rule over your house. Uh, which, which, by the way, the Bible says is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Sin wants to rule over you. Wants your house keys. Uh, and now I want you to think about Cain and Abel in light of that. Remember the two brothers, you know, they bring sacrifices to God. But God accepts only Abel's sacrifice but, and despises Cain's. You remember how, how Cain responded? Well, He, he gets all mad and, and sad about it. And, and, then, and then what does God say to Cain? Uh, this is actually our Old Testament reading earlier. Uh, listen again to what God says to Cain. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I mean, doesn't that sound like what Paul is saying in our passage? God was telling Cain, don't let sin rule over you. Don't let it in. It's crouching, ready to come in. Instead, keep the door closed by doing good. Doing good for Paul uh, means using our bodies in the right way as instruments for righteousness. Actually, it's not just as instruments, but as weapons. Our bodies should be weapons for good, uh, which, by the way, isn't limited to our physical extremities, like, like your hands or your legs, but it's also, it also has to do with what goes on in your heads and what goes on in your hearts. We are to use all of our faculties for good. And on the flip side... Paul says, we are not to use our bodies for unrighteousness. I like the word injustice here. Our bodies should never be weapons of injustice. The very things Paul said is wrong with humanity early on in this letter. Things like idolatry, lust, evil, covetousness, pride, adultery, violence, and so on. Let's go back to the Cain and Abel story for a second. What does Cain do with his body? Right after God tells him not to let sin rule over him? What does he do with his body? Well, he uses it as a weapon for injustice. He takes his brother to the field and he murders him. You see, Cain is a good example of what Paul is talking about. How do you know if you're allowing a sin to rule over you? How do you know you're under its lordship? The answer is what you do with your body. What do you find yourself constantly doing? Do you use your body as a weapon for hate? Which, by the way, is murder, according to Jesus. Do you use your tongue as a weapon to put others down? Do you keep clicking on those sites that you shouldn't be on? How we use our body tells the world who our Lord is and where our allegiance lies. And so long as we are in this mortal flesh, sin will continue to knock at your door. It wants to come in and take over your life. It wants to be your Lord. But you see, the cruciform, cross-shaped life is about saying no to sin. It's about locking the door and keeping it out. Don't welcome it. Don't entertain it. But again, because we're still in our mortal flesh, there will be times when we do open that door. We just let sin waltz right in uh, like it owns the place. And I think if we're honest, we do that far too often. So look at the good news in verse 14 with me. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Beloved, even when we fail, even when we entertain sin in our house, even when we use our bodies for injustice, God says, Take heart, sin doesn't have the final word. At the end of the day, it will not be king over you. Because you no longer are under the law, but you are under my grace. That's the greatest news in the world for sinners like us, isn't it? And so the question is, what does it mean to be under the law? Uh, This has a long, long story in the church. Uh, But let me point out a few things. First of all, it doesn't mean the law is bad, right? It can never be that. Uh, Because Paul will say in the next chapter, in Romans 7, he'll say, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So the, law, um, so the law is good, right? Being under the law doesn't mean the law is bad. So what is Paul saying? I think he's saying that the law condemns us when we stake our allegiance on it. When we pursue the law apart from the Lord of the law. See, it's not because the law is bad, it's because we are. What the law does is expose our sin. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. You see, like death without sin is powerless, so is sin without the law is powerless. But when we live under the law, when we stake our identity in our performance, in our doing. We empower sin. And when we empower sin, death becomes a powerful king to us again. So to be under grace then is to be under the lordship of King Jesus. It's to find our identity in His death and life. That is to say, it's to live in the reality of our baptism. That we have died with Him and we will be raised with Him. So praised be to God that King Jesus was baptized, not because sin was Lord over Him, but because He loved us. He did it to set us free from the fear of death, to liberate us from the lordship of sin, and to give us new life. Jesus became a pawn. He sacrificed Himself that we might become queens and kings over over sin. Uh, Jesus was was that wheat uh, that fell to the ground and died, that we too might live the kind of life that He lived, a life that's self-giving, self-denying, and self-emptying. Beloved, that's the Gospel, the good news, that the Lord, the Lord of glory, would lay down His life for us. He submitted Himself to the Lord of sin and death, that we might have newness of life. Uh, Let me close with a few reflections this morning. Our baptism is a call to die, to die to our sinful desires. It's a reminder of what Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You hear that? Jesus says to do it daily. In other words, we have to... Practice our baptisms every day. We need to be co-crucified with Him. We need to put ourselves next to Jesus as He was hanging on that cross. We're like the robbers crucified on either side of Jesus. You remember that when He was crucified? Two robbers were there. Every day we need to make a choice about Jesus. Will He be your King? Will He be your Lord? Will you affirm His death as your own? Or will you revile and mock Him and allow sin to be your Lord? Beloved, until we die with Jesus, we we won't and cannot truly live. And I won't lie to you, if you really take your baptism seriously, when you truly embrace His death as your own, it's going to be painful. Because it requires sacrifice. It's going to feel like, well, death. There are things in your life that needs to die every day. Things like your pride, your love of self. You need to die to your anger, your hatred, and every sin that tempts you to go back to Egypt. Use your body as a weapon for good. Put those things to death. And there are times when our circumstances just feel like death. At those moments, life feels unbearable. The sorrow keeps piling up. It's when we feel fragile and broken. When the hurts keep coming. We need to learn to remember our baptism at those moments. We need to be like Paul who carried carried in his body the death of Jesus. The promise of the Bible is that whenever we go through those moments of dying to self, we have a greater fellowship with the Lord. Right? That's God's promise. I am with you through the fire. Remember your baptism, then, beloved. Baptism should be a reminder every day for us that we are dead, that we've been co crucified with Jesus, we have died to sin. Sin no longer is our Lord. But it should also remind us every day that we've been made alive by the gracious, self-giving King, the Lord Jesus. And in Him, we are more than conquerors. Amen? Please bow with me in prayer. Your gracious God, we thank You for this time in Your Word for the baptism of Jason and for your wonderful gift of supper. Father, we ask that these wonderful means of grace would be met with faith and obedience in our life and that we would leave here today stronger for the time we have spent with you, grateful for the mercy of Jesus Christ and in complete awe and wonder of your love. We pray this in Christ's perfect name. Amen.